Welcome to The Hidden Gate, a short stories podcast. I'm your host and narrator, William Cook. Each of the stories I will narrate for you will contain something unique or unexpected, a captivating setting, an engaging tone, a twist, or possibly all three. We like to refer to this aspect of our stories in terms of the feeling they evoke, namely the not-quite-right feeling. For this, the inaugural episode of the Hidden Gate podcast, I will be reading you a story titled Guilty, written by none other than the Hidden Gate's main contributor, Eugene Chernet. Like many of the stories authored by Eugene, this one immediately puts the reader, or listener in this case, in the world of a character who lives outside of the everyday reality most of us occupy. Eugene, why don't you send us off with a few words relating to the story we are about to hear? Thank you, Will. First of all, I want to join my co-creator, William Cook, in welcoming our listeners to the first episode of the podcast. We're both looking forward to bringing you the stories you'll hear this season. We thoroughly enjoyed each aspect of putting the season together, even the technical stuff, and certainly the creative parts have been very enjoyable to us. And so we're both thrilled to have you with us today to be part of it. Now, as far as today's story, Guilty, is concerned, it's main character, and we meet him in the very first scene, He's engaged in a phone conversation few of us would ever expect to have. And I think that statement is true both as it relates to the main character and as it relates to the person he's speaking to. But as the story progresses, you might find yourself identifying with one or maybe more of the characters in it. And that is not to say that the problems you'll face in your everyday life are necessarily comparable to those in Guilty. In fact, I'm generally hoping that's not the case. And once we get to the story, you'll see why. Instead, what I'm referring to are emotions that we go through as we deal with life's problems. Our lives are complex because we, as human beings, are complex. And sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances, whether by choice or otherwise, that we wish could be different. Maybe we wronged someone we did not mean to wrong, or maybe we fell victim to someone else's wrongdoing, intentional or not. In either case, we might go through emotional turmoil as we deal with the consequences of our actions or somebody else's actions. And that ultimately is what the story is about, consequences. Well, I'm going to stop talking now and uh, have Will take it away. Thank you, Eugene, for the introduction. Well, I think the best way to continue this conversation is to get to the actual story. But please be sure to join us after as Eugene and I discuss Guilty. As a friendly warning, the following story contains language that might not be suitable for some listeners. Now, if you are ready... Follow us through the hidden gate. Guilty by Eugene Chernet. His phone was resting securely on top of his raised left shoulder, held in place by a steady pressure being applied by his tilted head. This familiar, albeit awkward, grip remained entirely unaffected by his bending down for a better view of the far end of the fridge. The phone stayed firmly planted on his shoulder even with his arm fully extended to reach for the remaining half of a bland, deli-bought grilled chicken sandwich. Though he was listening closely to the woman on the other end of the line, he already had a pretty good idea of what he was about to hear. These narratives had a certain rhythm, their flow and climax almost naturally formed by their first few introductory phrases. But the devil, he learned long ago, was in the details and so he needed to methodically extract each one and never, under any circumstances, assume any to be insignificant. How many years had he worked there? 
he asked as he placed his wax paper-wrapped dinner on top of his kitchen table and began to slowly remove a small piece of off-white tape holding its ends together. The voice of the woman on the other end of the line was trembling, her words accented by occasional sniffling. Her desperate, dejected tone would have been enough to upset anyone with a pulse, but not him. Upset, or any other unhelpful emotion for that matter, was not allowed to intrude on his world for as long as he needed to stay effective at his craft. The woman answered his question immediately, a good sign. Twenty-three long years, if you can believe it. Did he get any raises? Promotions? He interrupted, now peeling away the foil layer underneath the wax paper he had just finished unfolding. I mean, he was already pretty high up when he was hired. He did get some raises for sure, but I... I don't know if he was really ever promoted. Fumbling, this was not a good sign, but it wasn't fatal, so he continued. Had he shared stories with you about things that happened to him at the office, would he ever talk to you about his work at all? Yes, he would talk about work all the time. More than I wanted to listen. Oh. She inhaled deeply, once again triggering a shakiness in her voice which continued trembling as she audibly fought back tears. My dear Leo, my sweet and wonderful Leo, I miss him so much. She managed to compose herself to finish her thought. He was happy there, for the most part. I mean, I guess as much as anyone can be at work, you know? He never talked about changing jobs or careers or anything. Still propping up the phone with his shoulder, he was now slowly turning the sandwich in his hands, attempting to establish its desirability after at least four days of being stashed in the back of his fridge. Please try your best to remember, and this is extremely important. Had your husband ever reported to anyone other than Keith Holden? Her sniffling stopped and her voice attained a steady, focused tenor. No. He'd never worked for anyone other than Keith. I knew that for sure. He would have mentioned it if he had. Good, good. Here's what I need you to do now. After we hang up, I'll send you a text message with a link to a website where you'll enter your full name, address, and bank information. The link will only be active for 10 minutes, so please do this right away. I'll call you in a few days when I have news for you. My end will be 40% non-negotiable. Do we have a deal? He put the sandwich back inside the wrap, untouched. The voice on the other end of the line fell silent. This was a response he had come to anticipate, expect even. In fact, a mere yes would have disturbed the flow of their conversation enough to alert him to a potential trap. He followed up with his usual line. If any of this makes you uncomfortable, we can hang up now and you'll never hear from me again. No, no, it's fine. I mean, I'll do it she uttered in a sheepish tone he had also come to expect. He touched his phone's side button to end the call and let the phone glide down his shirt and into his hand. He dropped it on top of his kitchen table, then picked up and tossed the sandwich half into an aluminum foot-operated trash can. The commotion stirred up the contents of the can, splashing a tiny droplet of mustard onto his white shirt sleeve. Shit he murmured under his breath as he rolled up both sleeves, revealing his veiny, tattooed forearms. The tattoo on his left forearm consisted of a single, highly stylized word, guilty. 
Though he had half a decade to get accustomed to the way it looked on his skin, he scrutinized it closely, as if seeing it for the first time. He walked back to the fridge and retrieved from it a chilled bottle filled about a quarter of the way with leftover stoli. He took a sip from it, then another, then gulped down most of what remained before exhaling loudly and retreating into his bedroom for the night. Still fully dressed, he sat on the edge of his bed and dialed the familiar number he must have dialed a million times before. And, as he had done a million times before, he hung up as soon as he heard her voice. An opportunity did not take long to present itself. He attributed the ease with which he was able to find this opening to unseasonably severe weather. A snowstorm, albeit a minor one, was not what anyone was betting on, this having been the second week of April. Having worked itself into the standard opening of seemingly every conversation in town, the snow seemed to have captured everyone's attention and thrown their emotional state, and with it their good sense, into a kind of disbalance. At least that was his theory. He only needed to stake out the coffee shop for 12 minutes before running into Keith Holden. As he walked in the direction of the coffee shop, his body language was an exaggerated, near-cartoonish manifestation of his feeling cold. Holden's coat collar was up, and he held onto it tightly with his gloved hands while at the same time keeping his head retracted into his body. Keith? he yelled out in his best happy coincidence voice as he pointed in Holden's direction. His face dissolved in the widest smile he could muster. Keith Holden? He reiterated with a tone of added assurance. Leo, he self-identified loudly, pointing back at himself. Hey, bud, how long has it been? Keith was visibly perplexed. His confused thoughts were all but imprinted on his face. He doesn't look like anyone I know. Can this really be Leo? Bud, come on. Don't waste your time on this overpriced excuse for a coffee shop. I'm right here, right down this block. Come in and warm up for a few. I'll make you the best cup of joe you've had in ages. It'll put the piss you're about to pay for here to shame. Guaranteed. Hi, Leo, responded Holden tentatively, his voice evincing his utter confusion. It's good seeing you, man, but I really have to run. His tone was now taking on shades of subtle panic. Oh, come on. You're not going to get off that easy. You were about to stand in this long line to get coffee, so you must at least have five minutes to spare. I won't take up too much more of your time than that. Promise. He raised his hand in an oath-giving gesture. Just come up for a minute for old time's sake. Okay, he relented unenthusiastically. Holden took off his gloves and unbuttoned his coat as soon as the two stepped into a tiny, second-floor apartment. Nice and toasty here, he remarked. Yeah, I keep it warm. Freaking crazy weather lately. I don't know what they're going on about with the whole global warming scare. Holden smiled politely in lieu of a verbal response. Come in, man. Have a seat. Here, sit right here. He picked up a decorative pillow off a chair closest to him and threw it carelessly to the side. So how have you been, bud? Wait, hold that thought. Let me get that coffee going first. How do you take it? Cream and sugar, was it? Yeah, that's fine. Thanks, responded Holden, now showing signs of being more at ease. Man, it's been forever. How many years since we worked together? 
Holden hesitated, then opened his mouth as though getting ready to say something, but instead only produced an awkward, meaningless, eh. He walked over to the kitchen, well within earshot of where Holden was seated, and filled an old teapot from the kitchen faucet with roughly enough water for one cup. He lit the stove underneath the teapot as he continued to speak. I heard you dodged a pretty big freaking bullet with that embezzlement charge, huh? I'm glad you beat it, man. They should go after real criminals and not make every executive look like some crook. Yep, replied Holden without elaborating. What did you pay those lawyers of yours? They did a damn good job. Hey, I'm not saying you did anything wrong, but you know it could have just as easily come out the other way. They see us corporate types as some sort of parasites. Like the planet would be just fine without executives, so let's teach them all a lesson. Am I right? Holden did not respond. Where's that sugar? He wondered out loud for Holden's benefit. I never use sugar in my coffee, or in anything for that matter. I know I have it somewhere, though. Don't worry about it. I don't need it, responded Holden, projecting his voice. Are you sure? I mean, I think it tastes better without it, but... Yes, I'm sure. Please, don't bother. The pot was boiling now. He quickly dumped two spoonfuls of cheap instant coffee into a white mug and poured hot water over it. He then reached into the fridge and grabbed a small carton of milk from its middle shelf. He lifted the carton to his nose and promptly set it aside, turning his face away from it in disgust. You know, this coffee tastes best when it's served black. But I'll get you some cream later if you like, he offered. That's fine, responded Holden. He handed the cup to Holden and sat across from him. You're not having any? No, I'm good. I try to stay away from caffeine in the afternoon. You enjoy, though. So, what are you up to? inquired Holden as he took his first sip. Thanks, he added as he lifted his cup slightly to identify the object of his gratitude. It's really good. Still don't recognize me, do you? Holden stopped himself short of taking another sip and froze with a bewildered expression on his face. Let me help you out a bit. I sure as shit cannot be the Leo you're thinking of. If I were, this would be really fucking weird, because you'd be talking to a corpse. Leo offed himself months ago. Surprised? Holden's face flooded with emotion that far surpassed mere surprise. He angrily jumped up from the chair and began inching toward the door. Careful! Don't spill that cheap garbage you are drinking on my friend's carpet, or he will never let me use his place again. What is this? Who the hell are you? Sit, he commanded, both with his voice and his abrupt hand gesture. He took off his coat, rolled up his sleeves, and continued as Holden sat back down. I was hired by Leo's widow. You've never met her, but you'll get to know her well, albeit not in person. Thanks to your pocketing all you could with reckless abandon, people lost their livelihoods, their dignities, their reasons for getting out of bed each morning. And Leo? He paid the ultimate price for your selfishness. He lost his life. I'm sorry to hear that. I really am. But please, save it. You had your chance to repay your debt to society, but I suppose people like you can choose not to pay their debts. Well, your unrestrained freedoms must end somewhere. And this is where they end. He threw an index card with a handwritten name and account number in Holden's direction. 
Holden looked down for a second, then lifted his head back up. Who the hell do you think you are, talking to me like that? What are you going to do, threaten me? Don't make me laugh. I don't give a damn about your righteousness or your widow or anything else you want to throw in my face. Why don't you just go to hell? Hmm. Spoken like an exonerated man. Let me tell you how I judged your case. He lifted up his sleeve a bit more to reveal the full length of his tattoo, holding it up next to Holden's face. Then reached into his pocket, pulled out a handgun, and placed it in his lap before continuing to speak. This index card contains a dollar amount you'll be transferring each month for the rest of your life and the bank account number you'll be transferring it to. The money will go directly to Leo's widow. Normally, I collect a finder's fee from my client's end, but, given how special this relationship is starting to feel, I'll let her keep everything. Instead, you'll transfer the same amount to another bank account. Mine. The money becomes due on the seventh day of each month, the day Leo took his life. Pretty soon, you'll find that you have no money left to transfer, but you still have to pay, I'm afraid. To that, I can only say that you've shown your financial creativity before. Time for you to get creative again. That's real justice, if you ask me. Oh, and did I mention that I'll personally find you and put a bullet through your fucking skull if you do anything different from what I just told you? I sure hope that was clear enough. Holden nodded quietly, his eyes planted on the weapon. Now get lost. Having waited for Holden to leave the apartment, he put his gun back in his pocket, walked over to the fridge, and helped himself to a bottle of beer he had spotted earlier when it bounced about loudly against a thin metal barrier in the fridge door. He never needed to follow through on any of his threats. His gun had been an incredibly effective coercion device that so far had a perfect track record of convincing anyone in need of convincing. That is not to say that he would ever let any degree of defiance slide. He was prepared to do what he had to do if the need were ever to arise. His reputation was far too important to him to be compromised by any perceived weakness on his part. How long had you two been together before it happened? He asked a young-sounding woman on the other end of the line while unscrewing a cap off a fresh bottle of Stoli he purchased on his way back to his apartment. The pitch of her voice was that of a teen, or, at most, of someone in her early twenties. Almost four years. Did he ever hit you before or since? He asked, carefully modulating his own voice to avoid influencing her response in any way. No, but once is enough, don't you think? He broke my cheekbone, for God's sake. She clearly tried to come off as defiant, but he could sense that she was on the verge of tears. I will help you, he enunciated firmly in lieu of responding to her question. Thank you, she whispered in response. I'll send you a text now with a link which will expire in ten minutes. You'll follow this link, then enter your full name, address, and bank account number. I'll call you in a few days when I have news for you. My end will be 40% non-negotiable. Do we have a deal? Today was the day the boyfriend was being released from custody, as perfect an opening as could ever be expected. He only had to pay 50 bucks to the cab driver waiting by the gate to have him drive off empty. His car looked nothing like a cab, but he knew that wasn't going to be a problem. It never was. Joe? He yelled out of his open car window. Yeah, you here to pick me up? 
answered a man standing outside the gate in a firm, deep voice that matched his build. Wide, muscular shoulders with a matching set of oversized biceps. Yes, he confirmed, pointing to his back seat. Come on, man, it's locked, yelled out the brawny man as he jiggled the handle of the rear door. He pressed a button near the front driver's side handle with an open padlock icon, triggering an automatic unlocking mechanism. Sorry about that. He waited for the brawny man to get inside before addressing him. Where to? He asked loudly, already moving his finger over the touchscreen of his GPS. Callum Avenue, just over the bridge. You know where that is? Yep, I don't need my navy for that. He moved his hand away from the GPS screen and placed it on top of the gear shifter. Good day to be out, he remarked as he drove out to the main roadway. The brawny man smirked. Any day is a good day to be out. I guess that's true. What were you in there for, if you don't mind my asking? The brawny man turned his head away from the window he was looking at and looked up at the rear view. Please just drive, okay? He urged in an exasperated tone before turning his head back to the window. He followed the expected route for a few minutes, then made a sudden turn onto a narrow exit leading to an abandoned shipyard. He pulled over as soon as he assured himself that there were no other cars nearby. What is this? Where are we? Nervously inquired the brawny man, frantically rotating his head in every direction. He turned around, placing his gun on top of the armrest with his left hand. I would keep still and not make any sudden movements if I were you, he warned his passenger calmly. The brawny man raised his arm slightly in a defensive gesture. Somehow I thought you would be a little tougher than that seeing how hard you can hit. Oh, Wait, that was a defenseless woman half your size, wasn't it? My mistake. Try not to piss yourself all over my leather seats, if you can. Look, man, I'm sorry. I never wanted to hurt her. She knows that. Just ask her. I did. He shook his head slightly in a display of disappointment. Callum Avenue, huh? Funny how you'd just assume you'd be welcome at her home after sending her to the emergency room. And in front of your kid, I might add. The brawny man's frightened expression was now turning to one of apparent shame as tears poured over both his cheeks. I'm sorry, he uttered again, barely able to produce coherent sounds. That's not enough, I'm afraid. Are you going to shoot me? Please don't, man, please, he implored through his tears. He raised his gun and trained it on the brawny man's face revealing the word guilty tattooed across his arm. You are never to come within a 10-mile radius of Callum Avenue ever again. He threw an index card across the back seat. This is her personal bank account. You are to transfer $3,000 to this account every month so she can raise your kid on her own without ever seeing your disgusting face. I don't want to ever get a call from her telling me that you missed a payment. Do we understand each other? Yes, yes, he blurted out in rapid succession. Now get the hell out of my car. He kept his apartment dark that night. It was the five-year anniversary of the day he would have erased if he could. He was on his fourth shot of Stoli when he dialed her number again. She answered the way she always had, softly and detachedly. Hello? A silence followed. 
This is when she would normally hang up, but not this time. Don't you think I know who this is? She continued. Five years today. She exhaled loudly. Say something. You might as well just say something. Stop being such a coward. He remained silent for an uncomfortably long stretch of time before speaking his first words to her. I'm sorry, Kim. I'm so very sorry. Sorry for what? She probed rhetorically. What do those words even mean? Sorry for getting completely wasted and driving your truck off the road with my husband in it? She continued calmly. Sorry that you have single-handedly destroyed my family. Sorry that you've never spent a day in jail for it. She paused. I know it's you who keep sending me cash every month. You can stop now. I haven't spent a dollar of it and never will, so don't bother. I've been repaying my debt in other ways, Kim, he responded in a dejected tone. Good for you. I'm happy that at least one of us has found their peace. You sound drunk, by the way, so I wonder how much of your debt you've really repaid. She paused again, then continued in a soft, barely audible tone of voice. Please stop calling me. I don't know what you're doing still calling me. Just stop. He lowered his shoulder, letting the phone glide down his shirt, poured himself his fifth shot of stoli, and brought his forearm to his temple briefly scanning with his eyes the familiar tattooed text scribbled across it. The round outline of his gun barrel felt cold against his skin. He took the shot. So, we're back with Eugene. Uh, and Eugene, I've got a few questions that I'd like to ask you. The first one I want to ask is kind of a personal... Uh, it, it's, a, it's a question from my perspective... I had an idea in my head about which shot he took, but I want to ask you, uh, in your head, which shot did he take? Did he shoot the Stoli or did he shoot himself? Well, which shot do you, do you think he took? And before you answer that, uh, let me just clarify that this is just a rhetorical question. I um, purposely left that part open-ended because I want the reader, or in this case, the listener, to uh, think about it, to kind of think through the options and figure out for themselves what makes more sense to them. I think either option here is plausible. And let me just go through those options in case it wasn't really clear. So the first one is he's holding a gun in his, in his um, hand. We know he's actually, um, he has it to his head, in fact. And so the more natural, I guess, reading would be that he actually uh, shoots himself in the head. And um, that makes sense, considering the fact that, that we do find out toward the end of the story that he is a broken man. He does go through an experience that shapes his life in a very drastic way, and he is very distraught. So that particular outcome does make perfect sense. And then the other option is that he takes a shot of uh, vodka. And the reason that might make sense is because uh, he's only human. And he probably realizes that, as do um, other characters, I would say, in the story. They uh, probably realize that, too. And uh, he might actually realize the fact that they realize it. So um, there is uh, definitely something to, to be said about the fact that we're all human. We're all flawed. So that ending would also make perfect sense. So I will leave it up to the reader. 
Uh, I'm leaning a certain way, but I'm not going to reveal which way I'm leaning. So that makes sense. Uh, I think since you asked me, I will, uh, I will give to the listeners my perspective, assuming that is okay with you. Absolutely. I was kind of uh, tunnel visioned at the end there. Um, and, and actually, I had shared the story with my wife. And I said, wow, this is, a, this is a dark ending. He shoots himself. And my wife goes, no, he doesn't. And I said, what do you mean? It's, it's right there. And she goes, no, 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 no. Eugene wrote that he took the shot. He doesn't tell us which shot he took. And, and it was funny because I had completely missed that. Um, so uh, now that we've listened to the story, I hope that you, the listener, have come to your own conclusion about what happened and won't, truthfully, won't put much stock into what I've said. I think the way that Eugene wrote it, uh, he wrote it open-ended. And I think that's, I think that was a cool device that he used, in my own opinion. So moving on, something I didn't notice until the end of the story, but I did notice it uh, on my own this time without my wife's help. Uh, was it an active decision to not give him, our main character, a name? And if it was an active decision on your part, why? Why did you make that decision? Yes, so the decision to not give him a name was deliberate. And I felt that it symbolized some of the things that were going on in the story. The first thing that it symbolized was the fact that he was driven by a struggle, something that happened to him. And he essentially became so attached to that, so attached to his suffering, that he, his life completely changed. It, it took a turn that was in some ways outside of his control. So the fact that he didn't have a name, I felt was very appropriate, considering that he was in some sense no longer himself. Um, and the second thing was the fact that we don't really find out much about him in the beginning. We don't know what motivates him. We don't really know uh, why he picked that particular line of business, very unusual line of business. And we don't really find out much about him until the very end. And the fact that he doesn't have a name is also emblematic of that particular aspect of the story. That makes sense. Do you have any final thoughts on your story? And has your perspective about what you've written shifted after you heard it through my narration? Well, first of all, I, I found the narration extremely engaging. I uh, love the way the story came out. It certainly uh, sounded better than, than I expected it to sound or better than it sounded in my head when I read it myself. So um, that's one thing that I would certainly say I came across. But um, as far as my goal for the reader, my goal was that I wanted re the reader to feel as if they're in each scene with the characters in the story. It was important to me for the realism to really come across and for you to feel like you're maybe another person in that apartment with the main character, with that executive, or in the car with the, you know, the abusive boyfriend and the main character. Um, or maybe in some sense, uh, imagine yourself as being one of these characters. And it's, and of course, that's a little bit um, of a different animal altogether because it's kind of hard for... Um, a typical uh, person with a typical uh, a life situation to imagine themselves in either um, in, in any of these characters' uh, shoes. But at the same time, we all go through struggles. Um, we all have regrets. We all make mistakes. 
So maybe your mistakes uh, weren't as extreme as some of the mistakes described in, in Guilty, but at the same time, you, um, each of us are, we are all familiar with some of these emotions that the characters in the story go through. And I, I wanted that realism to come across, and I think the narration definitely added to that. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, and I really do hope that our listeners did as well. So, this concludes our first episode of the Hidden Gate podcast. You can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and I'm working on getting us onto Pandora as well. You can also subscribe to our social media pages where we'll post updates on upcoming content. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and we've also got a website, thehiddengatepodcast.com, where we've got all of our social media sites listed. We'd like to thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next story.